Welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. Hello. My name is Seth Everett. This is episode 371. And this was so fortuitous. For the second week in a row, our guest is one of the original play-by-play people from ESPN, debuting in 1979 last week. Fans in New York will know him from the mid-90s when he was the play-by-play announcer for the New York Yankees on MSG Network. He was also the original host of Mets Extra. He was also did Atlanta Braves hosting in play-by-play. He was also the play-by-play voice of the Washington Bullets. They were the Bullets back then. He won an Emmy Award in 1996 for his commentary on Dwight Gooden's no-hitter. And I know him from his Syracuse days. He was on WSYR and WIXT and on something called Super Sports, which we'll get into. He called Syracuse basketball and football. He was the announcer when I was a student there. So... Last week, I was teaching my podcasting class, and it just so happened to coincide with alumni weekend. And I went to the hotel to uh, drop my stuff off before my class. I had some time, and I saw him in the lobby. I recognized him almost instantly. And he knew I looked familiar, but he wasn't sure who I was. I will give him credit. He Googled me, and all I said to him was, I have this podcast called Sports with Friends, you are more than welcome on it. And he was like, let's let's do it. So we did. It is also week five of the National Football League. We will talk about the best matchups and the latest odds on them with the head odds maker at BovadaSportsBook.com, Patrick Morrow. But we recorded this conversation in Syracuse, New York, uh, in the lobby of a hotel, uh, right across the street from the Newhouse School and uh, down the street from the Dome, the uh, former Carrier Dome now, that's the JMA Wireless Dome. And it was funny because I knew I was going to be doing a podcast, but I don't want to mention who I was going for uh, because we're going to get him. And when we get him, it'll be that much more exciting and we'll tell that whole story. Uh, but when I saw Dave Cohen in the lobby, I was like, oh, my goodness, let's let's totally do a podcast. We welcome to Sports with Friends, Coney Island Dave himself. Dave Cohen, it's an honor to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for doing this. I mean, what a chance meeting. I happen to see you in the lobby of a hotel. How how, how fortuitous for the podcast. That's the, Let's just say this. There is good luck in this podcast. Yeah, you know, fortuitous is really the right word. That's kind of been my life story. Um, being at the, the right place at the right time and meeting some incredible people, not knowing what these people were capable of and where they would go, and it's just amazing. You know, I've often said, you know, the friends I made here when I was a student here uh, are still my great friends today, um, and I see their careers. The people you grad, just just for the purpose of some entertainment for this podcast, who are some of the people that you went to school with that graduated, and did you follow their careers? Well, yeah, I did. It actually... When you really think about it, the person who kind of influenced me the most was a Syracuse student decades before you or I got here, and that was Marty Glickman. You know, the great Marty Glickman. The great Marty Glickman, and his story is much bigger than just sports in Syracuse. You know, being on the Olympic team, uh, uh, being in in Germany during the time of Hitler, and what he said to me was, you know, I'm one of the few people alive, certainly one of the few Jews who could walk in front of Hitler and look him in the eye and then go on from that to have a marvelous career. So he was a kid from Brooklyn who then went to Syracuse and then went on to 
kind of invent many parts of the sports broadcasting business. So to follow in those footsteps and then later on to meet uh, Marv Albert, who is a protege of Marty, and then a kid on my staff at WAER turns out to be Bob Costas, who is lifelong, probably, definitely my best friend and just an incredible talent, but a even better human being. And and Bob, and then Mike Tarico came, and Sean McDonough, uh, people like this. The late Bob Newmeyer was on our staff. Um, my senior year, and this is my 50th reunion at Syracuse, my senior year I was the sports director of WAER. We had four people, myself, Bob Newmeyer, Andy McWilliams, and... Um, Oh, God, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Neumeyer and Costas and myself. Yeah, that's four. <laughs> it's tough to count to four. And between us, this is like 1972, in the next decade, we would go on to do Major League Baseball, NFL football, NBA basketball, ABA basketball at the time, NHL, WHA, the Olympics, and the Triple Crown of Racing. I mean, four people who did all those sports at a time that kind of was before cable created lots of opportunities. So it's remarkable to think that those four of us sitting in that Quonset hut uh, across from Archbold Gymnasium could go on and do all these things. You know, it's funny. We had uh, Bob on the podcast uh, when... uh, there was there was something we were promoting. Dan Silna, uh, Spirits of St. Louis, oh, the yeah. the story. So he came on the podcast to promote the story, and we did it. And uh, we wound up having Dan Silna on, and the, you know the amazing story about the NBA percentage of the rights and and everything. What I remember of Bob Costas is there were about six seniors that were selected to have lunch with Bob Costas our senior year, and. We had all done something in radio, except one of our guys, my friend Craig, he had survived a car accident. He broke his collarbone. He, you know, he, he was almost paralyzed, and he, but he survived. And he managed to graduate on time, so he was selected to go on the lunch. And as we're walking, he says, uh, boy, I wish I was known for, like, my broadcasting. I don't want to be known for the guy who can walk, you know. And five years later, I'm at Safeco Field in Seattle, and Bob Costas is doing a game. And I said, Bob, you know, nice to meet you. You spoke at, my, you know, when I was a senior. And the first thing out of his mouth is, how's the guy with the broken neck? <laughs> <laughs> he forgot all of us. <laughs> and it's funny, you mentioned uh, Dan Solna, and that goes back to the uh, Spirits of St. Louis days. And Bob's, I don't know if it was his first professional job. No, his first professional job was minor league hockey here. Yeah succeeding me doing the Syracuse Blazers and then he was with me at Channel 3 and WSYR radio and Bob was the weekend weatherman and the bowling for dollars substitute host but then he went to St. Louis to work for the Spirits of St. Louis and how he got that job Bob's roommate was the nephew of one of the owners and a bunch of us had sent our tapes in audition tapes to become the voice of this new team in this new league and Bob's roommate working for his uncle in St. Louis threw away everybody's tapes and said this is the guy you need Costas and that's how he got the job he's done okay yeah he's done he's he's done all right uh and and that's a great it's a great episode of the podcast um you know rather than going in chronological order 
I, I want to uh, discuss when I first came into contact with you was you were the play by play voice of Syracuse football and uh, basketball for the local cable affiliate. And most of the time you were on tape delay. I remember that. And we would always watch game films to study because I was at WAR at the time. And I, I remember watching you all the time. The weirdest feeling was my junior year when all of a sudden the guy who had been doing the Syracuse football and basketball is the new play-by-play voice of the New York Yankees. And that was one of the wildest. Take me from Syracuse to New York. Okay, so <clears throat> I was in Syracuse, I graduated 72, went to work a couple of months later, radio and TV at Channel 3 WSYR. And then in 78, I became the first person to jump from one station to another, going to Channel 9, which was WIXT. And Must have been very scandalous back then. Yeah, it created was, you know, people who had lived through the AFL-NFL wars when Pete Gogolak went from the Buffalo Bills to the New York Giants. That opened up the avenue for many other bigger football stars to make that move. And in my case... <clears throat> I opened up uh, the avenue for Bud Hedinger, who was the most popular local TV personality, to go from Channel 3 to Channel 9. So he kind of followed, but I went first. <clears throat> so that job lasted about uh, four years from uh, oh, 78 to 82 as a Channel 9. And, we, and that was the time we did live play-by-play of away Syracuse basketball. And we started doing the coaches shows with Bayheim, Frank Maloney, uh, Dick McPherson, and then after 82, uh, suddenly my job went away. An owner came in who was kind of controversial. He got rid of certain personalities and certain ethnicities. I don't think you've been in this business unless you've been fired. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, but there was a lot more behind it. Anyway, so I was scrounging around looking for something to do, and cable television was kind of in its infancy, and I looked around and I said, you know what, there's local cable... First it was in the suburbs, and then it came into the city of Syracuse. And I said, there's a market for local programming. So I kind of went to cable, and, I, you know, people knew me. I had been on the air for 10 years. And I said, what do you think about doing, like, high school football, high school basketball? And they said, yeah, that's a great idea. And then the Dome was only, like, a year or two old, and... When the Dome had ESPN come in there, they had a production they could then send throughout the Dome into all the, the uh, luxury boxes and all the concession stands. So they had a production of the game they could put on TV. But ES- ESPN was in its infancy, and if they weren't there broadcasting, there was no production. The, the monitors were dead. They were. So that's how it came about. Wow. So I went to Jake Krauthammel, the athletic director, and said, hey, Jake, you need somebody to do a production to put on these monitors. And in return for that, we would do the production, you know, make it nice, four or five cameras, replay it just like ESPN, and give us the rights to show the game the next day on delay. And that's how we started it. And I, I, named, I named the channel uh, Cable 13. And then the campaign was C-13. Cable 13, see Syracuse football, basketball, and lacrosse, and women's basketball. And then I realized, you know what? We're making a tape to show the next night. If we make two tapes, 
we could keep one tape, the other tape. I called up Sports Channel New York and said, would you have an interest in playing Syracuse football the day later? And they said, yeah, the morning later. And they said, not only do we have an interest, but New England Sports Network, home team sports in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, Turner Sports South, home sports entertainment in Texas, uh, Rocky Mountain Sports in Colorado. They're all looking for programming. Everybody wanted programming. So we would do two tapes. One we'd replay locally. We'd send a tape overnight to Sports Channel New York via courier or whatever. They would put it on air at like 10 in the morning. And all these other regional networks around the country would simultaneously pull the signal down and put it up. So Syracuse football went from a New York State-based recruiting New York, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts. Suddenly, they were getting exposure nationwide. It's it's an amazing idea. It costs nothing, and you couldn't put a dollar of value on the publicity, and Syracuse started recruiting nationally. All of a sudden, we got players from Florida, from Texas, from California, and as a recruiting... Like what the impact of the Braves, you know, being on the superstation. Kind of America's, uh, yeah, America's team, or Cowboys or whatever, but... Yeah, um, they went from being kind of mediocre at the beginning of the 80s to being undefeated as soon as 87. They were formidable in 86. And I'll never forget, Roy Simmons used to kid me. He says, yeah, you're showing all the lacrosse games all over the country. Now everybody has us scouted. They know what we're doing. But it really grew the popularity of lacrosse. And we kind of became heroes because women's teams were televised. Like viewers in Maryland or Virginia would say, oh, look, the Georgetown women are playing or the Maryland women are playing. But it was our tape of our game that their regional network was showing. So there were a lot of benefits, and it was just putting technology to, to its best use. So smart, and we uh, we used to watch it the next morning. We would wa- we would watch the, the games when uh, my freshman sophomore year when you're trying to learn, yeah. and that was how how we learned. More with Dave Cohen here on Sports with Friends in just a moment. But first, it is the NFL. But first, there is NFL football this weekend, and let's get a preview of the best matchups and the latest odds on those matchups with the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow. All right, let's take a look at week five in the National Football League and welcome in uh, the Thursday night game, the Indianapolis Colts and the Denver Broncos. Kind of a curious uh, week five matchup here. Uh, The Denver Broncos and Russell Wilson have not looked good in really any, that that offense anyway, I should say. Uh, Defensively, they looked fine, but offensively, Russell Wilson has not found uh, his feet there. Hasn't found his horseshoes yet, perhaps, uh, in Denver. And listen, a good part of that is going to be uh, if you're a QB coming in a new system and you miss the entire preseason, uh, you are going to be expected to uh, have some trouble. He can rely on his classic improv skills a little bit, but that has only taken the Broncos so far, which is very frustrating for me, Seth Everett, because as the podcast is probably tired of hearing me say, I do have all these Broncos futures bets from when the Russell Wilson signing broke. Uh, looking at this game against the Colts, who also haven't looked very strong this year, um, the Broncos are currently three and a half point home favorites at Bavada, they're taking up 70 percent of all bets over under sitting at 43 and a half right now pretty 50 50 split there we were just talking about the nfl in london the uh, new york giants the surprising three and one new york giants uh and who's going to be their quarterback uh up against the green bay packers and we know who their quarterback is 
Giants, Packers in London. Giants no slouches this year at three and one. Uh, like you said, we have questions at QB. Packers looking really good at three and one. Uh, it's kind of started the season the same way they did last year with a really bad week one loss, got blown up by the Vikings and have looked really good ever since. Uh, Rodgers is Rodgers. Uh, really good running back core in Green Bay this year, which I don't think a lot of people saw coming and which has really helped uh, guide their offense uh, a lot. Uh, they put the Bears to sleep. They put the Bucks to sleep. Uh, really impressive. Packers are currently nine and a half point uh, favorites in this one. Technically home favorites uh, because someone's got to be the home team in these games. And the over-under is sitting at 41 right now at Bavada. There is one undefeated team in the National Football League. They are the E-A-G-L-E-S Eagles. The Eagles travel to a good old Arizona to take on Kyler Murray. You know, a really interesting uh, matchup uh, in this one for, for a couple reasons. I, I don't think uh, looking at our preseason futures odds, uh, we certainly didn't uh, think the Eagles would be this good. Uh, they've also had some things break for them a little bit uh, with uh, Dak being out in, in Dallas, although Cooper Rush has kind of held serve a little bit there. Uh, yeah, the Eagles look great. Uh, Hertz has kind of figured out that offense, uh, you know, Trying to find that sweet spot of when you can be a scrambling QB and when you need to be a pocket passer is very difficult for a lot of these mobile quarterbacks because in college, uh, it's, it's very, very easy to lean on like, okay, I'm faster than everybody else. I can make a play happen. Uh, improv can take me very far. Uh, he has found a really good balance. It's, it's early days this year, but he has found a really, really good balance in what he's been able to do on the field. And the Eagles are surprisingly now our NFC favorite at Bavada. Uh, so it's probably no surprise that they're favorite in this one as well, Seth. They are currently five-point favorites, over/under sitting at 49 and a half. Uh, Kyler Murray is a lot of fun. Uh, we just talked. To, I just talked about all that improv stuff a second ago. He's got to figure out how to work design plays a little bit better than hoping things just work out. But uh, yeah, I, I you know the Cardinals are two and two. They're fun to watch. Uh, I still think they're not very good though, and I think uh, this is probably Kingsbury's last season as head coach. And finally, let's do the Monday night game. The uh, Monday night games have also been good. Um, the Manning cast has been interesting, but it's weird with Joe Buck and, and Troy Aikman doing the main game. Why would you change the channel? I, I, I don't know. The whole thing is very, very odd. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs and uh, their Superman, Patrick Mahomes. Looking at the game itself, uh, Raiders at Chiefs. Uh, Raiders, another team that uh, looked like they were going to start the year uh, Owen Ford got totally bailed out uh, by the Broncos who couldn't get out of their own way on Sunday. They come into this one against the Chiefs as seven and a half point underdogs. Uh, early money all over the Chiefs. Over under uh, this one sitting at 51, the highest over under of the week uh, on the board. Uh, yeah, Patrick Mahomes, there's nothing else I can say about it. He is so fun to watch. He is. He's a, he's a likable guy. He's dynamic on the field. He's doing spin moves. He's doing pop passes at the last second. Uh, that, that's a good Bucks defense that he absolutely tore apart last Sunday. Uh, it continues to be super fun to watch him. Again, Chiefs seven and a half point favorites at home at Bavada. Appreciate it, Patrick. That is the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow. Each and every week during the football season, he'll be here on Sports with Friends to tell us what the best odds are and all the others are on their website. Now back to our conversation with the iconic broadcaster, Dave Cohen. So take me through 95. You're working up in Syracuse and the Yankees. And, well, and where did that come from? Um, it was remarkable. It was with the MSG Network. 
and Dwayne Stats, who just, by the way, uh, just finished his 7,000th baseball game. Uh, Dwayne Stats is now with Tampa, and you replaced Dave Stats, it, it, Dwayne Stats. And I remember it was after the strike. The strike had happened in 1994, and you came on in 1995. Uh, I, I was like, I know that guy. I, that's the guy from Syracuse. Well, uh, a couple of years before that, I was working at ABC Radio in New York, commuting every weekend from Syracuse. So I was there all day Saturday and Sunday. Todd Ant? Uh, no, he wasn't with us. We, we were doing network uh, radio every hour on the hour. Uh, so I was doing that. Uh, I, I freelanced like in 88 and 89, and then for a couple of years every weekend in New York, and Monday through Friday from my home studio here in Syracuse. And during that time, you know, I had been doing the Chiefs play-by-play on TV, again on cable 13. And uh, the other interesting part, I don't want to get off track here, but... That's what this podcast is. It's off track. When we were, when we were at uh, cable... One day I said to the, the technical chief engineer, I said, tell me something about the technology of the cable. It comes from downtown to my house. Can the cable be used two ways? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, if we were doing a high school game or a Syracuse Chiefs game, could we send the signal back live? Because we didn't have satellite then, and we didn't have wireless trucks. And so, yeah, he said, it could be used, and that's how we started doing high school games and Chiefs games live without the super expensive technology, just reversing the cable. So it's it's kind of a thing of mine. I always like to kind of tinker with the technology and see how it can be best used. So that's how those things occurred. Now, as for me, I did Syracuse Chiefs, and then I was doing ABC. And uh, when the Yankee job came open, you know, I threw my tapes into the ring. But it was several years before that, that WPIX, which was the long time, over-the-air broadcast of the Yankees tried to hire me um, to do Yankee play-by-play. That was when uh, Phil Rizzuto, obviously, was doing it, and Tom Seaver was a Yankee analyst. And they had all been... Which was George Steinbrenner trying to stick it to the Mets by hiring Tom Seaver. Something like that. But they had all but hired me, and then there was some kind of controversy between what Rizzuto was being paid after all these years and what Seaver was now receiving. And somehow the end result was the new play-by-play guy got pushed out of the picture, which was me. So initially I was going to go there a few years before uh, to do the Yankees, and then it came up a second time at MSG. That's how I got there. I had a a two-year run. Um, but it's two magical years. I mean, 1995, they win the wild card, the first ever wild card. I can remember you saying that's the first ever wild card uh, victory. And then that famous series uh, against Seattle uh, in that playoff series. And I wound up working with the Mariners and a- after the fact. And they consider that 95 series their, their greatest moment. I mean, they, they literally say that that's their greatest franchise moment. And then 96, which is a magical, magical season. Yeah, I, you know, we didn't have I didn't have anything to do with the postseason because right. we just the network. Yeah. We just broadcast during the regular season. But I do recall many games in Seattle. In fact, to this day, the only time I have ever seen now try to try to conjure this image up in your eye. A guy hits a comebacker to the mound 
the pitcher sticks out his glove. It hits the pitcher's glove, goes through the infield. It was a right-handed batter, so everybody was kind of shifted toward the left side. The second baseman was over toward second. The ball deflects off Jimmy Key's glove. It goes to the vacated spot. Toronto and, and Yankee pitcher Jimmy Key. goes through the vacated spot at second base, and on that AstroTurf, or whatever turf it was in Seattle, in the kingdom, yep. the ball then went to the outfield and gapped the right fielder and the center fielder and hit the outfield wall. I said, I have never seen a ball tip off the pitcher's glove and then hit the outfield wall. I think it was A-Rod who hit it, and he got a he got a triple out of it. On a comebacker to the mound, a legitimate triple, just the way the ball deflected and how quickly it rolled. So that was one of my Seattle memories. It was a big, I don't know, 95 or 96, a big bench-clearing brawl uh-huh. between the Yankees and the Mariners. And at that time, uh, Tino Martinez in 95 was a Mariner. He was the first baseman. Uh, so, yeah, I remember a lot of a lot of cool things happened in, in Seattle. That was a, an amazing uh, two seasons. That's Don Mattingly's final season as a player. Uh, you mentioned Tino Martinez, and, you know, that's Buck Showalter's final year as a manager of uh, New York, but then uh, Joe Torre's first year as a manager. And, and just to see the precursor, you're like you were really on the precipice of what became this, this dynasty. And 10 years before, i, I got to mention this, in 86, the Mets had a huge lead, yeah. and it was August of 86, and the Mets' uh, flagship station, which was WHN in New York, was sold. The guy who bought the station was Jeff Smullyan, who uh, was an Indianapolis kind of entrepreneur in radio. I believe he had hired David Letterman for one of his first jobs. Yeah. So he comes to New York, and he realizes the Mets have a huge lead and all, all the broadcasts are totally sold out. So he happened to talk to Costas, and he said, Hey, Bob, you got any ideas about how we can, you know, make some money off these broadcasts when all the commercial time in the Mets by August of 86 had been sold out? He goes, I don't. He says, but call my buddy Dave, Coney Island Dave. He'll come up with something. And I met with Smolian, and I said, Why don't we do an extended pre and post-game show, like two hours before and two hours after. We'll interview everybody. We'll have all sorts of live guests. And you called it Mets Extra. I And I said, give me a popular ex-Met like Rusty Stubb. They did. And I named the show Mets Extra. We started it for the playoffs in 86, the Mets Magical Ride, uh, the, the, all, the, all the, you know, the cool plays. The, the bobble by Buckner and all that. So we did it for the playoffs and the World Series. And it was during that time, Smolian said to me, what do you think about an all-sports station? All sports? I said, well, I kind of think sports is something to look forward to. That if it was there all the time, maybe it wouldn't be as special. But I said, but if you do it, you better do it with New Yorkers for New Yorkers. So they went ahead and they did it, but they didn't have a lot of New York-based talent. Jim Lampley and Greg Gumbel. Yeah, they had people who were outside. Pete Franklin, I think. They, they just weren't... From Ohio. Weren't real New Yorkers. And um, the station kind of floundered a little bit. But I came back in 87 to host Mets Extra when the permanent host, Howie Rose, got mono. 
So <laughs> I, I come back at the beginning of May, and I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to do this gig. I lived in Syracuse with my family and uh, two children, and I didn't want to do like the overnight shift, which they had offered me. I said, ah, no, I don't think so. Went, uh, wound up going to Steve Summers. Yeah. So um, I was there when WFAN started. And uh, and then, of course, we did Costas's Sunday night show. There were no Sunday night games. Costas, coast to coast. I was the producer and the announcer of that. And how cool is it to work with him again? You know, the, your, your, your college buddy. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. By this time, Bob had been a great success. We're talking about him way more than I thought we would. And he's hosting the, <laughs> he's hosting, you know, the NBC uh, yeah. studio shows. He'd be there all day on those shows. And then... We'd go over to a restaurant in Manhattan called Runyon Sports Bar, and these shows would be live from 9 to 11 o'clock. We had some unbelievably classic shows, like the night Ted Williams was on. And Ted Williams, you know, everybody in this restaurant is like on top of you. Here's four of us sitting around a table, and everybody's hanging on every word. So during one of the commercials, I, I say, Ted, my dad said to me, that your eyesight was so good that you never risked it by going to the movies during the daytime. And he goes, ah, that's a bunch of bull. You know, he was a big commanding guy. He was about six feet four. He goes, nah, that wasn't. So. And, and, and then, and then the com- we did this during the commercial. So we come out of the commercial, and Bob says, well, uh, listeners, uh, during the commercial break, my producer and announcer, Dave Cohen, asked Ted Williams something. I'm sure a lot of your fathers have told you about Ted never going to the movies. He didn't want to spoil his 2015 eyesight. So Bob rephrases the question, and, and Ted goes, Bob, that's a bunch of bull. <laughs> and then he says, but I'll tell you what. And now everybody in the place is hanging on what's going to come out of Ted Williams' mouth. He says, I'll tell you what, sometimes you could foul a ball off and you could smell burning wood. And everybody's like, what? He said, yeah, back then the bats were not varnished. So if Bob Feller threw you one of his 95-mile-an-hour fastballs and you just nicked it, boom, puff, there'd be a puff of smoke and that burning wood smell. And Ted Williams had never told that story and everybody was hanging on like every word. So, you know, these these stories and incidents came out of this two-hour live sports show, which is kind of like this podcast now. Yeah. Uh, anything could come out unexpectedly. Right. One night... But the one difference, though, is that in a podcast, and this is something we talked about while I was in my class that, that I teach, and it was when something like somebody, something like this, this, this amazing story... People can listen to it on demand. They can hear it again, and they can say to their friend, did you hear that story about Ted Williams? You guys are doing radio, this amazing radio, and it airs once. It would air once, and then it would go into the ether. A couple of months ago, uh, Vince Scully passed away, and I found an interview that I had done when I was on the Mets pregame, and I had done this interview with Vince Scully, and I realized that legendary voice was on the Mets pregame show on a Sunday afternoon in August once. And I'm thinking to myself, like, uh, we were so thrilled to get acquire that audio to repurpose these things. That That's where I think technology makes a big difference. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. And it was years later, after years of doing play-by-play, you do so much preparation, and you have to 
train yourself. When's the best time to use this? The most opportune time in a in a broadcast. When does it make the most sense? Sometimes you never get to use it because you're holding it for that optimum time. So all these years of doing live TV, you'd prepare, 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 and do a three-hour broadcast, and then it's gone, gone in the wind. So years later... Except for when you're doing Syracuse games that are airing 76 times. But anyway, yeah, years years later, I'm, I've moved into doing uh, movies, acting in movies, yeah, yeah, always cast as the sports guy. And I realized the... You know, you do something in a movie, you do your performance, and then you don't see it that day, you don't see it that night, you don't see it next week, next month. It could be years, years, until your part comes out in the movie. So, in 2004, I was uh, the announcer for the championship game, the NCAA championship, Kentucky-Texas Western, in the movie Glory Road. I spent a month in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, shooting my scenes and just hanging around, which you do most of the time. The movie didn't come out till 2006. So all this time you're wondering, what did I look like? What did I sound like? Am I on the cutting room floor? Where am I? And then the opening night, you go to see the movie with all your friends and and you hear all the lead-up play-by-play guys in the regionals. Oh, that guy's really good. That guy's, oh, God, what am I going to sound like? And then your part comes on. And you're like, like a deer, you know, with the lights on. You're just stuck out there. And then you hear it, but you don't realize you have to watch it over and over again. So the movie industry is totally the opposite. You, you do it, and then you wait. And in broadcasting, you prepare, prepare, and then it's gone. So back to your original yeah. podcast uh, yeah. Uh, thoughts. Yeah, it does live on, and thankfully so. What about the idea that you were constantly able to reinvent yourself? Um, I think it's a lesson to, to young people who listen to this show um, about the idea that you know you had a two-year run with New York and then you you went to Cleveland. Um, no, 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 no. Hold on. You went to Washington and you went in, into in the NBA. You worked with the Atlanta Braves. You 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 did all things, and it was you weren't in one place and you were constantly never saying you know what this is too hard it's it, you, your tenacity was fantastic in finding new work and when we were talking about finding new work they're not small gigs they they were all big gigs well i got to tell you what's behind that is most people who are entertainers sportscasters people you know big time actors they have unbelievable, you have to have a tremendous ego and drive commensurate with your talent. But for me, the most important thing in my life has always been a family. And there were times when, when I was anchoring here in Syracuse, I do the six o'clock show, rush home, have dinner with my wife and my children. So for me, family always came before career. And there were times depending on the ages of your children, where you could go after certain gigs, yeah. do them, and then sometimes it interfered and I would just step aside, sure. pull back, and then say, okay, now let me pursue this and let me pursue that. So, yeah, so you went from, you know, anchoring locally to doing play-by-play of some games, uh, play-by-play as a freelancer for ESPN, then eventually play-by-play for baseball where you're away, all the time time, but at this point your kids are adults so I I picked 
and and chose my spots and was in and out of the business, in and out. And then you get to the point where you're doing voiceovers and you have a home studio and you have that luxury. And then the movie things come up. So, yeah, it's been in and out of the business, but I really am very fortunate. I've been able to uh, keep my family intact. And now the greatest role I ever have is being grandfather with four incredibly you know, wonderful kids every day, one or more. And believe it or not, I play, they all know about sports. They all watch music from the sixties. They watch old TV shows. They watch the little rascals, the Lone Ranger. They appreciate the stuff that we had as youngsters again, because it's preserved. That goes back to your podcasting theme. This stuff that is 50, 60 years old, I play for my three, four, six, and 10-year-olds, and they enjoy it because it was really good then, and it's still very, very good. It's, um, it's, it's a testament to, to your career and, and to what you were able to accomplish. Um, as we wrap this up, uh, do you have a favorite sport? You literally called football, you called basketball, you called hockey, you've called baseball. What do you have a favorite sport, and has that changed as the years have gone on? It's funny you should mention it. I think unofficially I have the ESPN record for doing the most different sports. There was also track and field. You were one of the original yeah, voices. I was always a freelancer. The very first weekend, December 1st, 1979, and I think I've done 12 or 13 different sports. You know, lacrosse and track and field and crew and soccer and baseball and football and basketball. Um, baseball is my favorite. It's still a game, believe it or not, I still play at a competitive level. Good for you. And uh, um, it's funny because all my life. They all know you as Coney Island Dave? Yeah, ever since Bob introduced me the first night on that radio show, thank you very much, Coney Island Dave. And every time he calls me, the first three words are, Coney Island Dave, you know. Um, yeah, baseball has been my favorite. And um, we watch games, and my wife would tell you this. I tell her what the pitch is going to be before it's called, where it's going to be located, where the batter's likely to hit it. And then I ver uh, verbatim will tell her what the announcer's going to say. And she's so used to it now, it doesn't shock her anymore. And then sometimes you'd be watching a game, and I go, Who's on deck? Boom, the director cuts to who's on deck. You, you see these things, you know, uh, you, you pick up patterns. I remember about Syracuse doing the Syracuse football games. When Dick McPherson was coaching, if Syracuse was backed up inside their 10-yard line, the fullback was Daryl Johnston, <clears throat> and the running back might have been Robert Drummond. Cowboys legend now, with, uh, now a broadcaster. Uh, but every time we were backed up inside the 10-yard line, the fullback and the tailback would in invert. And suddenly Johnston was the tailback. Why? Because they would toss it to him and he'd quick kick it every single time. So here I am doing the games on, on cable, yeah. on super sports, and I'd say, I think this is going to be a quick kick. And it was a dead giveaway. And I used to say, if I know that, how come the teams on the field with all their scouting didn't realize that? And that's, that's one of the things about doing TV play-by-play. -play. There's a lot more that meets the eye besides the ball and, and the play itself. And that was one of the things I, re I really love directing the viewer to things that are happening that they may not think is significant. And then the play starts and, oh, yeah, it was a tip-off. Yeah. I will say this. You know, 90% of the podcasts we've been doing these days have been recorded over Zoom. 
uh, especially since the pandemic. It has been an absolute pleasure to uh, do this and tell stories. All I can say is as long as you know how to do Zoom, you have the home studio, you're going to have to come back on the podcast because I think we left a lot on the table uh, as we, we did this. Uh, Dave, thanks so much for doing this, and again, continued success. Well, thank you very much. This is It's a thrill kind of to relive, relive your life this way, but uh, you're doing many of the same things I did, reinventing yourself and making the most of this medium. Thank you. The great Dave Cohen here on Sports with Friends. It's a fantastic conversation. I loved every second of it. Getting to meet him and know him. I wish I knew him when I was a student. I would have followed in his footsteps if I could. That's what happens. In the last two weeks here on the podcast, we have had original ESPN play-by-play people. Uh, Cliff Drysdale last week on tennis and Dave Cohen this week. Uh, It's pretty impressive. Next week, we're going to go to Seattle, and we're going to talk about the Seattle Kraken with Jeff Baker, who covered the story of the team arriving and then covered their first season. We'll talk Kraken hockey next week here on Sports with Friends. We'll see you then. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go, and then you'll know for me to stay. I got to be me. You'll never be in doubt. That's what it's all about. You can't take me for granted and smile. Come on. Have been the kind of person 